This is from Luke 13, 10 through 13. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Is it reasonable to hope for miracles? Can we believe in the God of miracles and in science at the same time? Who among us hasn't cried out the words, Heal my child. Heal my father, my husband, my mother. Dear God, my friend is in your need. Heal her. Dear God, heal me. How many of us have even bargained, perhaps, with God for a good medical outcome, viewing God as some cosmic judge, wondering in the face of serious illness or injury if we're being challenged, tested, thinking, well, maybe God is on my side this time, maybe not. Well, illness and injury are an inescapable part of our lives, and I have to believe that at some time or another, every one of us has asked the question, where is God? I have. Without minimizing pain or personal loss, I want to explore this morning the spiritual meaning, the invitation for growth and awakening, and the opportunity for transformation within the opportunities and challenges of our bodies. Most dictionaries define healing in relationship to becoming whole, sound with return to health. But what exactly does it mean to be whole? Does it mean that everything about me has to be perfect? That I must be cured? Does this healing and wholeness mean that I must return to being the same person that I was before? Or is healing an evolutionary process, sometimes making us even better than we were previously? There's really no consensus to the definition. To the orthopedic surgeon, healing means the mending of bones. To the cardiologist, it means that he's able to provide and help with a heart that can sustain life. For the construction worker who's been injured on his job, it means regaining his energy and his strength, his ability to be able to get back to his job, keep his job, feed his family. To the mother, worried, finally watching her child laugh and sing, dance, be happy, after a long, worrisome, frightening illness. Tragically, we know that there's a lot of toxic theology that contaminates our experience of sickness and healing. 
Many lay blame on those who fail to get well. Some exalt our human power by saying, we create our own realities. If you have enough faith, you will be healed. Where is God? Let's enter into a prayer right now. To the God of each of our understanding, the spirit with whom we commune this morning, we ask that our minds be open, our hearts welcoming, our arms embracing. We lift up those whose lives are touched by sadness, by illness, by worry, by fear. You may know someone experiencing those things right now. It may be yourself. Those who are lonely, may they find comfort, hope, healing, and strength in this community and in our larger community. We celebrate those of us whose lives are whole and well. May we share our strength with those in need and find warmth and love in the sharing of our spirit. Let us take a few moments now to silently think about these words in the spirit of prayer. This is an excerpt from No Enemies Within by Donna Markova. When I was in the hospital, the one person whose presence I welcomed was a woman who came to sweep the floors with a large push broom. She was the only one who didn't stick things in, take things out, or ask stupid questions. For a few minutes each night, this immense Jamaican woman rested her broom against the wall and sank her body into the turquoise plastic chair in my room. All I heard was the sound of her breath, in and out, in and out. It was comforting in a strange and simple way. My own breathing calmed. Of the 50 or so people that made contact with me in any given day, she was the only one who wasn't trying to change me. One night, she reached out and put her hand on top of my shoulder. I'm not usually comfortable with casual touch, but her hand felt so natural being there. It happened to be one of the few places on my body that didn't hurt. I could have sworn she was saying two words with each breath, one on the inhale, one on the outhale, exhale. As is, as is. On her next visit, she looked at me. No evaluation, no trying to figure me out. She just looked and saw me. Then she said simply, You're more than the sickness in that body. I was pretty doped up, so I wasn't sure if I understood her. But my mind was just too thick to ask questions. I kept mumbling those words to myself throughout the following day. I'm more than the sickness in this body. I'm more than the suffering in this body. I remember her voice clearly. It was rich, deep, full, like maple syrup in the spring. 
I reached out for her hand, and it was cool and dry. And I knew she wouldn't let go. She continued, You're not the fear in that body. You're more than the fear. Float on it. Float above it. You're more than that pain. I began to breathe a little deeper, as I did when I wanted to float in a lake. I remembered floating in Lake George when I was five, floating in the Atlantic Ocean at Coney Island when I was seven, floating in the Indian Ocean off the coast of Africa when I was 28. Without any instruction from me, this Jamaican guide had led me to a source of comfort that was richer and wider and deeper than pain or fear. It's been 15 years since I've seen that woman with the broom, and I've never been able to find her. No one could remember her name, but she touched my soul with her compassionate presence, and her fingerprints are still there. What a powerful passage. Beautifully written, Marcia, thank you. I came upon this passage from Donna Markova's book um, many years ago, and I've shared it with many, many people since, and it's continued to bless me with its wisdom. The context is a modern city hospital, equipped undoubtedly with the best medical care available, For a few minutes each night, something magical took place in this patient's room. Who was it who spoke these words? Whose breathing brought such calmness? Whose touch brought comfort? Was this wise sage, weary, broom in hand, who entered the patient's room, Just a tired employee seizing the opportunity for a few moments' relaxation and rest? Or was she a healer of another kind? Was she God? How shall we be healed? What does it it mean to talk of healing in a world where illness and disease are understood more clearly than ever, but where adequate health care for most of the world's population, remains inaccessible? What does it mean when medical and spiritual models of wellness don't speak with one another? What does it mean to talk of healing when all too often the best we can do with our knowledge and power and technology still is not enough? How shall we be healed? Well, the Gospels are full of healing stories, such as the one Marcia read of the crippled woman, stories of the blind receiving sight, the lame walking, the lepers cleansed, hearing restored to the deaf. Today I feel challenged to read these scriptures, the accounts of Jesus' healing ministry, with a new perspective, believing they are as transformative today as they were 2,000 years ago believing that they serve to weave holistic and physical accounts of the body and of the mind and of the spirit in all of its complex and dynamic dimensions. 
How shall we be healed? Well, myth and religion and science tell similar stories of the unknown, but all from different perspectives. The shaman visits other worlds in imagination, if not in fact, and returns with information relevant to people's lives. Isn't that exactly what molecular biologists do? They reveal worlds of pulsing energy within our bodies, which are all independent of our own consciousness, but which enable and support our lives, reminding us that there are dimensions of creation larger than we can possibly comprehend. A simple, straightforward mindset of cause and effect began in the Middle Ages. If you sinned, you were given a grave disease. If you were good, you were rewarded with being healthy, wealthy, wise. You got what you deserved. But then the Black Plague of the 14th century shook blind faith. Massive numbers of people were dying. Good people, godly people. None of the religious models were working. Then there was the Age of Enlightenment. The Renaissance, the Reformation, the Industrial Revolution, with its rise of medical science, with objective, measurable, quantifiable. But the soul was then irrelevant. When the church was in charge of man's thinking, humans were considered to be created in God's image, most of us then falling grossly short. When science began, the rise, mankind yearned to be created in the image of machines, efficient, productive, impersonal, with no room for God. Well, a significant challenge to healing professionals today is the integration of such diverse fields of knowledge. Theory, practice, medical-based disciplines, hard data with MRIs, PET scans, genetic markers. Some areas of human function, though, continue to defy quantifying. All the certainty, predictability, measurability, all have little tolerance for the mysterious. But who supposes, then, that we know all the laws of nature? I like Einstein's famous quote, there are only two ways to look at life. One is though everything is a miracle. The other is though nothing is a miracle. I prefer the one that everything is a miracle. It seems it is only now that modern science is catching up by uncovering scientific evidence that supports the wisdom of so many of these ancient concepts. So blessed be the shamans, the yogis, the spirit helpers, the mystics, the wise men, and our neuroscientists, biochemists, geneticists, all who are out there learning and studying more and more about us. In a culture that's preoccupied with eradicating illness and preventing injury with their interruption to our lives and the disruption to normal routines, our peace of mind, and our well-being, seldom do we really watch or even listen 
to the wisdom that is present. I believe in the chaos of the unexpected. The way can be paved for important spiritual journeys. And when the physician is awoken within us, we will learn. Today, we do distinguish between curing and healing. Curing is related to the alleviation of the symptoms of disease. When healing relates to the whole person, the body, mind, and spirit, from this perspective, a person can be cured physically while still remaining emotionally diseased with fear, resentment, sometimes anger. No disease or discomfort, regardless of how serious, is unimportant as it affects our lives. I believe that the divine is in every healing technique that is offered with genuine intent. And there are many. Just as Jesus laid his hands upon the afflicted, so too I believe God is present in acupuncture, Reiki, therapeutic touch, Hindu and Buddhist meditation, breath prayer, the growing understanding of the relationship between energy and the life force of all things, the Holy Spirit. When I take a daily medicine or a vitamin, I try to think of it as a gift of God's healing touch upon me. During a medical procedure, I try to visualize the divine light, God's divine light, entering my body during that procedure. And with each breath I take, I try to affirm the vital energy of God's spirit and accept its abundant grace. As a chaplain, as a hospital chaplain for almost 18 years, I shared with so many patients their fear, their grief, sometimes anger, sometimes shame, their relation, their joys, all of the emotions that go with being hospitalized, injured, or being with a loved one who is. By virtue of my role, I was privileged to be the one, the one who could walk into a room, who didn't have to stick anything in, take anything out, ask questions, or make evaluations. I felt the privilege, as I do continue to feel the privilege today, of the many intimacies that I was gifted to share. Share with the patients, share with their families, and share in the very sacred and holy space of so many hospital rooms. When I began, I remember how concerned I was about saying the right things, doing the right things. I think we have all experienced those feelings of being misunderstood, or sometimes afraid to even comment on someone's illness or injury or, or loss, um, feeling that we might be, have, not have the ability to really express ourselves the way we want to and intend to, or that our feelings might be misunderstood or words might be misunderstood. The year I began my chaplaincy, I was among the first class of lay people to be admitted. Prior to that year, the prerequisite was that everyone entering the course of study had to be ordained 
They had to have divinity degrees. They had to have already had some experience serving in the priesthood as um, priests, rabbis, or pastors. Um, I can remember my severe sense of inadequacy. I wasn't ordained. I didn't have the training these people did. And these men sitting there in the class knew that I didn't have it as well. Already from day one, I felt behind. Well, I had a very wise supervisor. He was aware of my insecurity and offered among the most valuable words that I think I've ever received. He asked me to stand up in one of those early classes, and he said to me, Patty, you are ordained. You are ordained this day. You are ordained by your desire. Does that count? (laughs) That's what I was wondering. Does that count? He said, Patty, you are ordained by your desire. And I did desire. I desired, as I believe so many of us do, to walk alongside those who are ill, to walk alongside those who are suffering and scared and are in need of us. I did desire, and this knowing man brought me the greatest lesson of my four years of study, greater than all the years of learning about faith traditions and the psychotherapy and dynamics of bodies as we change and age. No amount of learning could have brought the same thing to me as his gift of being reminded of our presence when we walk alongside another with our love. To be asked to pray for someone is a very humbling experience. Has anyone ever asked you to pray for them? Probably so. And for many of you, it may feel perfectly natural. It may be very easy for you to do, no trouble. But for many, I know it makes them very uneasy when it comes to praying. Thinking of the kind of prayer in which a person often asks, um, hoping that God will do something or change something. Please, God, make me pass this test. Or keep this airplane in the air, don't let it crash. Or, dear God, get my team in the finals. Well, prayers like this simply imply that we believe that God tinkers with history, um, that somehow God can be bought. Well, I don't usually feel comfortable either when someone says, I'll pray for you, or I'll keep you in my prayers. How do they know what I need? Well, I do pray, and I pray for others, but I pray only when I have the sense of deep respect and understanding of what that person would like how they would like me to pray for them, what their needs are. I don't have a special tug on God's ear. My prayers can't tip the uh, laws of physics or the scales of chance. Prayer for me is not a replacement for healthy choices or practical actions that we might take to make a situation better. I don't know how prayer works, but I suspect that it works precisely because we share 
we share in the power to heal spiritually. God is moving through and in every one of us, active and present, even when we are not aware. Prayer for me is a way of approaching the world, a poetic reflection of compassion. Somewhere between words that make sense and words that soothe, I pray. I pray for our world. I pray for peace. I pray that healing be restored, pain eased, relationships reconciled, and suffering at least made meaningful. Prayer is a way for me of approaching the world. Attempting in the 18th century to present a mystical worldview of Christianity, faith, and God, German philosopher and poet Novalis said, there is only one temple in the world, and that is the human body. Buddhist teacher and author Pima Chodron says, this body that we have, that's sitting right here and now, with its aches and its pleasures, is exactly what we need to be human, fully awake, fully alive. When was the last time you looked at your body and felt each part of it as a miracle? The grace of God precedes our conscious acceptance of it. Who are we to place limits on what God can do? I created the heaven and the earth, God said. I created light and darkness, God said. I breathed light, life into humanity, and you became a living soul. None of us will probably ever understand or know why things happen as they do, why we don't always heal, why loved ones are hurt, they die, and so will we. What we can offer, though, to each other is our generous hearts and to fully listen. Fully listen with our care, with our love, with our presence. It's the greatest gift that we might give. At no time is there greater need for one another in the sharing of our love than during the alienation of what's often very isolating illnesses and injuries. I'm sure if you've ever been in this experience, you've felt how isolating it can be. The Jamaican guide of our story offers a source of comfort that is indeed wider and deeper than pain, than fear, and than our every need. We are more than our greatest insecurities, more than our disabilities, more than our challenges. With our presence and with our love, we are each ordained. Ordained to bring comfort, ordained to bring our presence, ordained to bring divine spirit to each and every one. Without trying to define or understand, I invite us now to few moments of silence, to think about the words I've shared, the healing we may each personally need today, the need of someone we may know, or how we might be healers to others. <laughs> 